0: Come on, if you're doing good, say yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I I just, I love seeing God do something in people's lives. And and I wanted to make sure, you know, I never want to be guilty of because something happened in first service. We make sure it happens in the second service. Pastor Josh and I just don't have that heart. We want God to move the way that he wants to move. Genuinely. And I just felt like the Lord said, you know what? Give him the opportunity to do what you're thinking about again. So we just give him the opportunity to do what we're singing about. Amen. Amen. Now, I will say this, that it goes in glove and hand fit with what we're talking about today, because I also have a huge conviction to get to the word of God. If you believe the word of God is important, say amen. Amen. I don't believe there's anything more important than the word of God. I really don't. I don't think there's anything more important than the word of God, because it's the word of God that really changes our life. If you've been changed by the word of God, say amen. 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 I believe the Word of God is what changes our life, and we're getting ready to go into the last message of this series called This Is Us. It's this, this kind of part of the series where we're talking about uh, the atmosphere that we create, and, and this one's a little bit strange for atmosphere because over the last few weeks we talked about a church that genuinely loves, genuinely, genuinely supports, and genuinely serves one another and serves people, but this morning I want to talk to you about genuine change. Look at your neighbor and say, change. Well, let's look at our neighbor and say change. I'm not changing subject until we say change. Change. We got got an eager beaver up here. All right. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 12. And I want to talk to you about change because God changes us. My original plan for my life. How many people have had a plan for your life by show of hands? You thought you were going to do something and then you did something else. How many people are working in the career path that you thought you were going to go into? Good for you. Good. That's okay. There's one of you. You're you're unique. Most of us in here. I I I'll tell you what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a high school football coach. And I wanted to be a history teacher. That was my plan for my life. And I, I, actually, I actually had boxes and boxes of, of letters that came in from small colleges in the state of Ohio to, to have the opportunity to play football. And I kept all the letters and I, I, I thought, man, I'm gonna pick one of these and I'm gonna go play Division two or Division three football somewhere. I'm gonna go get an education. I'm gonna become a history teacher and I'm gonna get married. I'm gonna have 2.5 kids. I'm gonna live in a house with a white picket fence. And that's, gonna, that's the national average. I don't know where that half kid Comes into play, but but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna live this I'm gonna live this perfect life, and I'm gonna follow this perfect plan. And I knew coming out of high school, I knew that God had a different plan for my life. In 11th grade, man, I radically got saved. Jesus radically saved my life. And some of you would say, well, what were you doing that was so bad? I wasn't doing anything that was that terrible, but I was starting to go down a path that was going to take me into some destructive behavior. And he radically saved me uh, at really the beginning uh, or or the middle of my sophomore years when it was. And I get saved and all of a sudden, man, I start inviting friends to this youth group that I started going to at Mansfield First Assembly of God. And all of a sudden, I start having friends that are coming to this youth group and engaging with this youth group, and I'm praying with teenagers after the service is over to receive Jesus, so much so that by the end of my senior year, we had about 70 kids coming from just my school. About half, about 35 of our football team was coming to that youth group just from one football team. And, and, and as I came out of that experience, man, I just felt like God said, this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Bring football players to Jesus? Okay, let's do that. No, no, no. You're going to bring people to Christ. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a, a pastor. And I thought, well, that's nice, but I'm still going to go to school for to be a history teacher and a football coach. And so I started going to the OSU branch out in Mansfield, and the first week was, was a little bit rough. I started going, and I would get back to my car, and I'd feel like God said, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're not supposed to be doing that. That's not what you're supposed to do with your life. And I would go back to college the next day, and I did this for two months, and I was sick to my stomach every single time that I went there, and I was doing something that I knew God didn't want me to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life, but if you ever had God tell you to do something and then you didn't do it, And you experienced that awful kind of like just guilty like tongue lashing from God where he was like you're supposed to do that You didn't do that. Some of you will experience that on the car ride home from here today God told you to come up and pray for somebody. God told you to come up and pray. You didn't come up and pray We said this in first service I said God sometimes will tell you to do something in service come and pray or come pray for somebody You don't do it and you just feel the incredible weight of God on you on the way home from service So much so I said that somebody stood up, came up, and testified in the middle of my sermon. It just broke my sermon right then and there because God had told him to give honor to what was going on in his life. And so I knew that I was not supposed to continue to go to college out there even though I continued to go. And eventually God got a hold of me and I thought, God, I I don't want to do this with my life. I have this plan laid out. I have this plan for my life laid out. And I've, I've gone this direction my entire life, and I've made my plans all through high school to do this, and I can't change this. My parents will be so disappointed, and I've already gotten college money, and I've gotten scholarship money, and God said, no, you're done. You're done with, you're done with this. You're done with this plan. That was your plan, not my plan. And so I went to my parents, and I'm like, man, you're not going to believe this. But I think I have to drop out of college. Those are the words that you really want to hear your kids say, right? Right up there with your, 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 your kids telling your, you, you know, we're getting a divorce. <laughs> you, you don't want to hear your kids say, I'm dropping out of college. And I had to tell my mom and dad, I, I have to drop out of college. And they said, well, why do you need to drop out of college? I said, because God is not calling me to be a history teacher anymore. He's not calling me to be a football coach. I said, God's calling me to be a pastor. And my parents kind of took the attitude, yeah, we saw that coming. We just wondered when you were going to get it, you know. And so I'm like, okay. Praise God, it made it a whole lot easier. And here I am all these years later and I realized, man, I wanted to be a history teacher and a football coach and I sort of ended up being a history teacher and a coach to some degree. Uh, God still has a way of working within our plans. It's just sometimes we don't understand exactly what they're gonna look like. God is going to call people in this place to change and he's gonna call them to change on a personal level and at times he's gonna call them to change on a very public level. I believe wholeheartedly that there are going to be people that God marks and God puts into ministry, and you're going to have a decision to make. Do I continue going down the career path I'm going, or do I finally follow God and quit running from Nineveh the way that Jonah did? And you're going to have God create that change in your life. Amen? Amen. No? No amen? We got one amen. God is going to do that. I also believe that God can change you later in life. Some people in here get caught up in the idea that, you know what? It's too late for me. God's moving in other people's lives, and I just, I just want to finish the race well. Listen to me. I'm a pastor that fully and wholeheartedly believes this. It is never too late to be who you might have been. It is never too late to move in God's call for your life. It is never too late to give up on uh, some things that have hurt your life. It is never too late to change. If you believe that, say Amen. amen. Some of us in here deal with change in a, diff- in a difficult way. Change can be tough. If you think change is tough, raise your hand sometimes. It's a, it can be tough. Change in churches, tough. Change in jobs, tough. The, the change we had in the last year in our, in our country, super weird, super tough, right? It was a really weird year. But change happens. Everybody look at your neighbors and say, change happens. Change happens. Let me read to you out of Romans chapter 12. So here's what I want to do to you, or I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Listen to that sentence. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for this scripture. I pray, God, that it changes our life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us in here define who we are by what we do, or we define uh, who we are by what we have done. We are a summation. In our mind's eye, we are a summation of what we do and what we have done. And Paul tells the church at Rome, listen, You're measuring who you are. You're measuring who you are by what it is that you have done or by what it is that you are going to do. And he tells the church at Rome, you are not a sum of what you've done or what you are going to do. Who you really are is found in Christ. Who you really are is found in Christ. In Christ, he says the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. And sometimes we struggle with change and we struggle to find who we really are. We hear things like, I'm struggling to find my way. I'm struggling to find my path. I'm struggling struggling to find my identity. And we hear those sorts of things and we struggle with change because we're trying to figure out who we are and we're trying to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do with our life. And Paul says, you don't have to figure all that out. You don't have to have all your plans laid. God has a plan for your life. God has circumstances that you're supposed to walk in. And God wants to make changes in our life. If we're following Jesus, he wants to make changes in our life. Can I just say this? And can I get a hearty amen by somebody more than just Josh? Not that I don't love you. I want everybody else engaged. God loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you the way that he found you. Can I get an amen on that? Do you believe that God wants to leave you where he found you? Do you want God to leave you where he found you? Some of you remember where he found you, and you're grateful that you still aren't where you were. We still struggle with change, though, and I want to talk about why we struggle with change. There's two different types of change. There's circumstantial change. Everybody say circumstances. Circumstances. There's circumstantial or situational change. We've all experienced that. How many people in here by a show of hands have ever changed a job? We got like teenagers like, I, I ain't never had a job. I, I, just wait, you got your whole life to work, you're going to have about 14 jobs. How many of you have ever moved? Right? How many of you have ever gone from being single to married? All right, that's all of our single people. Oh, the single ladies. I'm oh, sorry. We, we've had circumstantial changes in our life. We all go through circumstantial changes. And some of us in here don't like our circumstances to change. I don't like changing jobs. I'm the type of guy, I'm the 40-year career guy. I'm the guy that's like, you know what? I know that you pay me bad. I know that you treat me bad. I know that you don't like me that much, but I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I'm that guy. And some of us in here are like, the moment somebody treats me bad, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not going to get de- talked down to. I'm not going to get underpaid for the skills that I got. And we're good with that kind of change. We've all had those sorts of changes. Some of us in here have had changes in circumstances that we wish we hadn't had to have happen, but they happened anyways. Some of us in here have experienced divorce, not through our own choice, or maybe it was a choice because things were going so bad that the right choice felt like that was it. Some of us in here have changed school district. I remember changing school districts. That's an awful hard thing. Some of us in here struggle with change to the level we try, we've, we struggle to change our haircut. some of us really do. We struggle to change our haircut. And I could list a hundred different examples where our circumstances or our situations change. And those can be hard and life altering at times. But there's a second type of change that I'm going to talk about, and this is us. This is what I believe as a church. Fusion Madison, and really as the body of Christ, I believe we serve a God that is still in the changing business, and the second kind of change is the huge kind of change that he produces in our life, and that is convictional or scriptural change that happens in our life. Listen, I'm going to say something that sounds a little bit hard, but but I'm going to say it anyways. Some of us let me let me de, let me define conviction. It's that feeling that God puts on your life when there's something you're supposed to do or something you're supposed to quit. And you will experience it if you walk with Jesus. Here's the hard statement. If you have never been convicted, it is doubtful that you've been converted. Let me say that again. I didn't say that first service. That's just that good. That's fresh. Fresh word. If you've never been convicted, then it's doubtful that you've been converted. Why? Because God said this. Jesus, God said this. He said, the God that that began this work on the inside of you is also the God that's going to be faithful to see it through to completion. What does that mean? That means when you accept Jesus into your heart and you begin walking with Jesus, that really is a starting point. Over here, we start in this relationship with Jesus. We recognize, you know what, I've messed up. I want to be right with God. And it could be a hundred different things. It could be a hundred different little sins in our life. And we've got this broad definition of what sin is, like, oh, well, I was never an alcoholic, and so I don't I don't think I'm really a sinner. Listen, sin just means to miss the mark. And we all recognize that we miss the mark. If you miss the mark from time to time, you are human. God starts us over here recognizing that we've missed the mark. We cry out in our sin, and from from here, over to here is the end of our life. And this process of sanctification happens. And from here to here, it's a million little convictions. It's a million little conversations with God that changes our life. God loves us too much to leave us where he found us, but he loves us enough to see it through to completion in our life. I am a work in progress. If you're a work in progress, say amen. amen. I'm a work in progress. And people around you, around me could tell you I'm not the same as I was five years ago. I'm a different pastor now than I was five years ago. I'm a different person. I'm a different father. I'm a different husband than I was because I am a work in progress. But as much as God wants to change us, there are times, even when we have conviction, there are times where we struggle with convictional change. Let me tell you, I've seen this happen year in and year out. I believe God can change the person who is struggling with the worst addiction, struggling with the worst problem, struggling with the most hopelessness. I believe he can change that. But some of us struggle with believing that he actually can. What happens, what happens? Listen to me. What happens when we believe in God, but we begin struggling with the thought that maybe he really can't change me? Maybe he really can't change me. Some of us in here will walk with God for years and years. We'll we'll be willing to to give to the church. We'll be willing to sing the worship songs. We'll be willing to serve in the ministry. But some of us in here walk with things for years and years and years that God never intends for us to walk with. One One of the worst sayings that I hear somebody say, one of the things that breaks my heart that I hear people say as a pastor, and I've heard it year in and year out through the 20 years I've been in ministry, is that's just the way I am. We begin to believe that. We begin to believe that's just the way that I am. In other words, I can't change. Some of us in here struggle with alcoholism. We believe that we believe that somehow, some way, we just we're we're just made that way. In fact, even culture and society will tell us, you know, the child of an alcoholic is more likely to be an alcoholic. And we'll believe there's no changing that. It's just, that's the, way my, my, that's the way my dad was, that's the way my mom was, and that's the way that I am, and there's really just no way out of it. Some of us will, it'll be something like anger or a temper. I grew up in a family where my daddy had a temper. He wasn't abusive, but my daddy had a short temper. My dad, my dad was the type of guy that, and, and he's an elder at the church now, but my dad was the type of guy that if you crossed him, you were gonna have a problem. I, he, he tells a story where a lady pulled into a parking spot and opened a car door into his car door, And while she was walking in the store, he got out and he kicked her door in as hard as he could. And he said, Hey, now your door matches mine. You know, he was that type of guy. (laughs) He was that type of guy. I, and now, with my son being born with Down syndrome, he'll just cry at the drop. It's a really weird thing, you know. It's like, it's like the apocalypse has happened. He goes from this short-tempered guy to this guy that'll cry at the drop of a dime. God can change anybody. But sometimes, even with our temper, we'll be like, well, that's just how my family is. We're a hot-blooded people. We're, I can tell you my family will say that. We're just, we just got tempers. My, my family's just got a temper. It's just who we are. Some of us will believe that when it comes to Abuse. We'll run around from relationship from relationship from relationship, marrying a different name, but the same type of person. Because we believe that's all we deserve. That's how I grew up. That's how I came up. And that's just that's just my life. And that's what God has for me. And as much as I don't want this, as much as I as much as I it's just the way that it is, and I can't change it. Some of it's drugs. You know, drugs that drugs that weren't always a part of your life became a big part of your life and now years in you're you really have convinced yourself that I did I've tried I had a guy give a testimony of 62 years old Mark White it's it's Whitney's dad we've had church for seven weeks this church has been here for seven weeks last week he goes up to Reverend L who, who was in first service and he hands the packet of cigarettes to Reverend L he says I'm done a week later, he's given testimony. I don't know if he's ever lasted seven days off of cigarettes. He said, "I've tried a hundred times, not in a long time, <laughs> not without." And all he's done, he 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 told me even this week. He said, "God's taken the he's taken the desire to smoke out of my heart and out of like he, he's like I've just had a couple of suckers." I'm like, "Man, we'll buy you suckers, bags of suckers coming to you, Mark, next week." He's given testimony of, I've tried this before and I've had a million reasons why I can't, but all of a sudden, God is convicting him and he's experiencing a level of change that he's never experienced before. Listen to me. When you feel like you believe in God, but there's something about you, you can't change. Understand, listen to me and hear me. You believe in God, but you are tying up the hands of his power. Understand this. He has the ability to take the cigarette smoke away from you He has the ability to take the alcohol away from you. He has the ability to take the abuse and the violence out of your life. He has the ability to help you understand you deserve more than that. He has the ability to make huge changes in your life. Pastor, I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard to quit smoking. Pastor, I've tried so hard to quit looking at pornography. Pastor, I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard. Listen to me. Understand me. I have prayed with people who have come to the altar for the same thing week in and week out and week in and week out. But they made a determination inside of themselves that they were going to fall forward even if they fell, that they were going to fail forward even if they failed. And I can give testimony of person after person after person who, because they didn't give up, they are different today than who they were years ago. And not just because of the power of God in their life, but because they were co-laborers with him. God says he's a co-laborer, co-laborers with him. We do have to put in the work, but he is the one that, man, he can take that stuff out of your life and he can make you brand new. We've all made the New Year's resolutions. We have visited counselors and yet we have remained the same. Listen to me. Some of you are dealing with excuses at a level, you're dealing with excuses at a level that tie the hands of God. You're dealing with excuses at a level that tie the hands of God. Why? Because a lie believed is truth. A lie believed is truth will affect you as though it's true. A lie believed is truth will affect you as though it's true. You let people speak things over you. You let people say stuff about you. And eventually, you have taken that in. You've taken it on. You've taken it as yourself. And you believe it as though it's true, even though in God's eyes, it's unequivocally untrue. You don't have to be the same person that your daddy was. You don't have to be the same person that your mom was. You don't have to be the same person that you were yesterday. Listen to me. It is not incumbent upon a child to continue dancing with their parents' demons. You don't have to keep dancing with your, pam- your family's demons. You have the ability, you have the power of God on the inside of you to break that off your life and break it off of your family's life and i'm not going to just talk about it i'm going to actually show you how it's true but but first before we get into we get into how you can make those changes i want to talk to you real quick and real fast about how you recognize whether or not you need to make changes in your life because there's one other lie that we believe oftentimes we believe one that we can't change number two we'll often believe we don't need to change I'm not getting a lot of amens. First service was like, let's change. Let's do it now. <laughs> Second service is like, no, I'm good. I'm good. We don't need to change. Some of us in here don't believe, and I, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm talking broad. Some of us in here don't believe we need to change. But let me tell you, these are some Dr. Phil points here. How do you know that you need to change? Number one, do your family and friends say that you have a problem? Some of us in here will, will say, well, I don't have a problem. Your family and friends are going, oh, you got a problem. Like 5, 10, 15 people in your family are like, no, you have a problem. Even though you might deny it, others often see it more objectively than you. Number two, do you continue even though you're hurting people? Well, Pastor, I don't think I need to change because the only person that I'm really hurting is myself. The only person this really affects is me. Listen, do you know that you are a child of the Most High God? You are a child of the King of Kings, and he has a problem with you hurting you. He has a problem with you hurting you. If you are the person that's being hurt by this, he has a problem with it right. because you're his daughter and you're his son and he doesn't want that for you. Number three, do you arrange your schedule? Your priorities are spending time around it. Well, no, I just I just go do that every day. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's not a habit. It's not a habit. I just I just go to the bar every day. It's it's not a habit. It's not a habit. I just I just get on my computer every night. It's not. I mean, I can, I can stop anytime I want to. Uh, I can stop anytime I want to. Listen, if you're arranging your schedule, your priorities, and spending time around it, it probably you can call it what you want, but it is what it is. It's probably a problem. Number number four. Can you go a week without it? Can you go a week without it? Well, some of you would say, well, pastor, you can't go a week without food. No, I cannot because I have a problem, okay? I admit it. We can't go a week week without something, though I'm talking about something that's habitual. Can you lay alcohol down for a week? Can you lay drugs down for a week? Can you lay pornography down for a week if you cannot? It's a problem. <laughs> it's, it, it's not a problem. It, it, it's not a problem, listen, if you can't lay food down for a week, but if you have problems that you can't lay down for a week, ask yourself, if I can't lay this down for a week, how is it not a problem? Number five, is it driving others away? Do you find your circle getting smaller and smaller and smaller because it is creating a vacuum around you? And number six, are you denying it's a problem? So if you have a problem, we believe in a God that can genuinely change us. Amen. 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 I'm going to have Josh come right now because I believe that God still wants to do a little bit more work in this place. Before you begin your journey toward change, you have to brace yourself. And some of us in here, man, we've been following Jesus or walking with Jesus for quite some time, and we're still struggling with changes that he wants to make in our life. We really are. Mm -hmm. Because the excuse monster has been waiting in the shadows, and and we've got a million of them. I've tried this before. I've tried to quit before, and it hasn't worked. I've tried to quit before, and it hasn't worked. Maybe it's just the way that I am. I've tried to quit, but... I've tried to quit looking. I've tried to quit, I've tried to quit blowing up on my wife. I've tried. I, I, it, it's got to be just the way that I am because I've tried so many times. I've tried to quit drugs, but it's just the way that I am. I have an addictive personality. I've tried. I've tried. Some of us would say, you know what? Nothing works for me. I've gone to counseling. I've gone, I've gone to great lengths to try. I've prayed to God before, and it just nothing changes my life. Nothing changes my life. Some of us would say, you know what? I've done everything possible already. There is really nothing else to try. There's no other path to go down. Before you can tap into God's life-changing power, you have to eliminate excuses. Excuses, listen. Excuses are the chains that tie the hands of God. Belief is the conduit through which he moves. And there are times where we feel like even God himself doesn't want to intervene or even God himself can't. And we'll say, you know what? I've tried that a million times. And religion, we'll even say it about God. Religion's really not just for me. I I mean, I believe in God, but I don't really believe he cares that much about me. I don't really believe he wants to intervene at that level. I don't really believe that I'm going to change. And I know this is uncomfortable. I get that. I get that this can be uncomfortable but can I ask you this? Is struggling with the same thing that you've been wrestling with for the last 25 years of your life, is that comfortable? At some point in time, the pain of change has to be be more than the pain of staying the same. At some point in time, we have to recognize that we have to change, that God is moving us from here to here, and we're missing out on, on the glory of who we're becoming. We've lost the attitude, if I fail, I fail forward. If I fall, I fall forward. We've lost the attitude because we've believed over here that somehow, some way, that God himself can't even change me. In John chapter 5, Jesus experiences a person that's just like this. He's a, his particular problem is that he's crippled. He can't walk. Real problem, 38 years. 38 years he's been this way. And I can, identify, I can identify with this guy because I, I'm, I'm 39. So for me, I think in the terms of 38 years, that's a lifetime with one problem. A lifetime. And sometimes you can struggle with something for two or three years and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that long to other people that know you, but to you it feels like, man, I've been carrying this burden for a lifetime. I've been carrying this, this bad marriage for a lifetime. I've been carrying this addiction for a lifetime. And... In John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man who has carried an illness for a lifetime. His friends, every single day, take him to this pool, the pool of Bethesda. They carry him there because he can't get there himself. And he lays there, and the Bible says that the angel would come down and stir these waters... And when the angel would stir these waters that the first person who was ill would get into this pool and this pool, the the water would heal this person. And it says that all kinds of people with all kinds of infirmities would come to this pool to receive healing from the Lord, but only the first person in would receive it. This man has been there day day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. and he encounters Jesus. When Jesus sees him laying there and learns that he has been in this condition for a long time, this is the question that Jesus asks him. You see it up there? Do you want to get well? Do you want to quit drinking? Do you want to quit doing drugs? Do you you want to quit being suicidal? Do you you want to quit being abusive? Do you want to quit being angry? Do Do you want to get well? Now listen to me. That seems like a harsh question, doesn't it? 38 years of being a cripple who's carried to a pool and watching everybody else get what they want, watching everybody else get healed, that seems like the most insensitive question our Messiah could ask. Do I want to get well? you think I want to be on this mat? you think I want to be laying here my whole life? Do you think this is my plan? That's the question that the Messiah rolls up and he asks this man. And I believe he asked that same question to you. Some of us in here struggle struggled with alcohol for decades, decades. We've danced with our daddy's demon because our daddy was an alcoholic. We've watched it break up a marriage. It's hurt our marriage. We've struggled with drugs. We've dealt with it for a long time. And we hate that about ourselves. Some of us in here struggle with things and we keep doing them and we still hate them. It doesn't mean we love them. We feel stuck, stuck. By them. And the question the Messiah would have the gall or the audacity to roll up and ask us is, do you even want to be well? Yes, I want to be well. Yes, I'm tired of that bottle. Yes, I'm tired of that needle. Yes, I'm tired of my marriage going this direction. Yes, I'm tired of it. Why would you even ask me that? Why would you ask somebody who's been a cripple for 38 years that question? How insanely insensitive could that possibly be? What's the story beyond the story? The first person in the water gets healed. For 38 years, this man has had friends that are close enough to him, that care for him enough to get him to the water, to get him to poolside. Jesus recognizes something in this man. You've had friends carry you here for 38 years and you're telling me when that water is stirred, they can't just kick you on in the water once you're laying there beside of it? Like they're just laying you you there and leaving you. They can't just roll you on in? He recognizes that this man is getting ready to make excuses. Well, somebody beats me in. Jesus recognizes you didn't get here on your own, bro. You didn't get here on your own. Somebody has already loved you enough to put you in a position to receive healing. It's been you who hasn't asked them to take the further step. And Jesus calls it out in him in the next verse because the invalid replies to Jesus, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus recognizes, man, He didn't even have to be the son of God for this one. You've been here an awful lot for that to happen for 38 years and you not be able to get in that water. You've been here an awful lot, bro. You've had people carry you here an awful lot for that to be a real solid reason. We'll call them reasons why we can't change, but in the eyes of almighty God, they are not reasons. They are excuses. Reasons are real. Excuses are conjured. Excuses are made. And sometimes we'll convince ourselves that the reason I haven't changed will convince ourselves that our excuse is actually a reason. This hurting man was offered the opportunity to see the power of God. And if you have any excuses talking you out of changing, we're supposed to capture those wrong, wrong thoughts and replace them with truth. Listen to me. Some of us in here, God wants to change our life, but we have allowed one voice in our life to have the loudest voice, the voice of doubt, the voice of insecurity. Dare I even say that sometimes we get to the place where we fight with something for so long, we fight with alcohol for so long, we fight with anger for so long, we fight with pornography for so long that we, like this man in John chapter 5, we actually become identified by the problem and maybe we even fear losing our identity when the problem goes away because this man was the crippled man. If I'm not the cripple man, if he heals me, who am I? I've been the cripple guy for 38 years. I've been the guy on the map for 38 years. Who am I if I don't have this problem? I've been the son of the alcoholic my whole life and I now am am the alcoholic and my son's on his way to being an alcoholic. If I'm not that, then who am I? I've always had that wild red hot temper and if I don't have that temper, I, who, who's my what's my family going to be known by? Listen, this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we I identify with who we are and we don't hold it up against who god has created us to be paul said that in the book of romans chapter 12 he said we find our identity in him who he is and i am i am in firm belief that oftentimes we'll listen to all these excuses come in and all these reasons why we can't change and we'll allow that one voice to speak into our life and pronounce its judgment over who we are And Paul said this, he said, we demolish, everybody say demolish. We tear it down. We lay complete waste to it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's you putting the work in. That's you saying, you know what? I'm tired of being known as the person that's sick. I'm tired of being known as the person that's angry. I'm tired of being known as the person that's addicted. I believe, I believe, I believe that I am joint heirs with Jesus. I believe that I am a son of the living God. I believe That he has plans for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. I believe that he has healed me fully from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. He is the glory in the lifter of my head. He is my strong tower. The righteous run into him and are saved. I am who he says I am. And I'm going to speak life over myself because I believe that the power of life and death is in the tongue. As a man thinketh, so is he. I don't I don't deserve to be abused. I don't deserve to be spoken down to. I don't deserve to be an alcoholic. I don't deserve to be stuck with drugs. I don't deserve to be spoken with por- or stuck into pornography. I deserve to be free because Jesus paid for it on a cross and I choose to speak life over myself repetitiously because the voice of doubt is spoken repetitiously. I'm going to learn the word of God and speak it repetitiously over my life and I'm going to lay claim to the inheritance that Jesus says I have. Amen? Amen. Remember that if you follow Christ, man, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides on the inside of you. It resides on the inside of you. The spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you and what raised him from the dead is alive on the inside of you. If it could raise Jesus out of a tomb and not just Jesus, but every dead believer that goes into a tomb, into the ground, into a coffin will be raised by that spirit of God. If it can raise us from the dead, by all means, it can heal our sickness. By all means, it can heal our addiction. By all means, it can set us free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Sometimes you just need to hear when you have Jesus living on the inside of you. Understand, the shackles have already been taken off. The handcuffs are already gone. The cell door has already swung open. and The Spirit of the living God is asking why you still sit inside of your jail cell. It's already open, but sometimes we don't recognize because we've been beat down by life, because we've been hurt, Because we've been broken, we don't recognize that even though the door is open that we have the ability to walk out. We have believed who people have told us we are for too long. We have believed the words of people in our life for too long. We have believed the the words of teachers and employers. We've believed them for too long. And even though the door is swung open because Jesus has swung it open, we still believe we are who they say we are instead of we are who he says we are. You're free. You're free. You're created in the image of the living God. And he knew you before you were born. He has grand designs for you, great works that he planned in advance for you. Listen to me and understand this truth. We do not speak to our circumstances nearly enough. And I'm just about done. I'm going to have you stand to your feet today. We don't speak to our circumstances. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. We don't speak to our circumstances nearly enough. When God created, in the book of Genesis, he created Adam and Eve. We know preceding Adam and Eve, he created everything that was living and he created the earth, he created birds, he created animals, he created everything. And we know that he spoke those things into existence is is what the book of Genesis says. He spoke and they were. He spoke and the the oceans existed. He spoke and animals existed. He spoke, he spoke. He stopped speaking when it comes to Adam and Eve and he forms them from the dust of the earth and he breathes pneuma, the, the, the Hebrew word for life. Greek word for life breath inside of them he speaks and life exists we know if you go ahead and follow out to the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back he comes and when he speaks a sword comes out of his mouth for, with which to divide the nations and judge the nations and he causes all of this to change and to end with his words so he creates with his words and in the end he destroys with his words We don't recognize the power of what we speak over ourselves. And this is not self-help. This is not Tony Robbins. This is not Dr. Phil. This is the word of God. We don't recognize that we're made in the image of God. And we will say things about ourselves repetitiously that eventually will become our truth. Why? Because a lie believed as the truth will produce the same results as though it were true. And if we continue to speak that stuff over our life and don't speak the truth of the word of God over our life, we will will actually lock ourselves up in a chain of our own words that God never intended us for, for us to be locked up in. God wants us to be free. But we have to recognize we're free. We have to recognize who we are in Him. And we have to call out the greatness that He's put on the inside of each one of us. And I do believe, Pastor, we're not all called to be great. I do believe God has put a mark of greatness in every single human soul. He has more for you. It doesn't matter if you're five 50, 80, 90 years old, God has more for you. He has more for you. He wants more for you. And He wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly wants you to understand who you are in Him. In Him. I believe in a God that not only wants to change us, but in the God that has the absolute authority, autonomy, and power to produce that change in our life. So this morning, as we get ready to go, I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of us in here, man, I I can say this has been true for me in my life. I've been following Jesus since I was 15 and a half years old. And I know sometimes, you know, sometimes people struggle with listening to a pastor that's 39 years old. I've been in ministry for 20 years now. Since I was 19 years old, I've held credentials as an Assembly of as God pastor. I've been doing this for a very, very long time at this point in time. And I could tell you, after walking with Jesus for 25 and being ministry for 20 years, I could tell you there are things that I have struggled with the majority of my life. Things I've thought about myself, things I've believed about myself, things that I've wrestled with. And some of you in here, you've walked with Jesus for all of your life, or some of you have have walked with him for some of your life and you are still wrestling with the same thing that you thought you laid down at an altar years ago. You're still wa- walking with that self-worth problem, you're still walking with that sin issue, you're still wa- and it's just not what God has for you. I believe in the simplicity of a prayer that God today is going to do he's going to do for you what you've wanted him to do for years. But here's the key. You got to quit believing the lies. You got to quit making the excuses. You got to start speaking life over yourself. That's your part to play in the game. That's your part. That's your partnership. I'm going to quit believing these lies. I'm going to quit speaking these lies over my life. I'm going to quit letting people speak these lies over my life. I'm going to know the word of God well enough to call out who I am in Him. Come on, I believe I'm talking to somebody in this place right now. This service right here, man, I got to tell you, this service right here the first service was loud, a lot of spit, a lot of sweat, but I feel like I'm talking to two or three or four people in here today in this service way more than I was talking to them in this in the first one. I feel like this right here, I, I, I this word right here, I feel like is for it was for about three or four people who came in here today. And I did not preach this because you're here. I preached this because this is what God told me to, but I believe that you showed up and this is what you needed to hear. And I believe it's gonna happen simple. I believe we're gonna pray. God's going to do something in your life that is lasting. You believe that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to call out a bunch of different things. You know if this was for you. You know if you've carried this junk for long enough. If that describes you, I'm going to count to three. You're going to shoot your hand up and we're going to just pray that freedom and change sweeps into your life and that God does a huge work in your life. He's already doing it. I can already, I feel it. He's already moving in somebody right now. I'm gonna count to three. We're gonna pray together. One, two, three. If that's you. Yep, yep, yep. Knew it, knew it. Yep, yep. I knew it. Now, if you would say, Pastor, here's the deal. I appreciate that first group of hands. But if you'd say, you know what? The biggest change I need to make is that I know that I haven't walked with Jesus and I know that I need to. That's the, that's the key. That's the key to this thing starting and lasting. That's the, that's the key. I know I need to walk in step with him. Listen, he loves you. <laughs> he loves you. He identifies who you are, but you gotta be near him and you gotta be in step with him. And you'd say, you know what, pastor? I've just been out of step. I've just been out of step. I haven't been walking with him as closely as I needed to be. Or I haven't been walking with him at all. If you're just being completely honest, in the tenderness of this moment, in this tender moment, you'd be honest enough to say, you know what, Pastor? I want to start walking with Jesus today hand in hand. I've, I, I, I've started, but I've not been as close as I need to be and want to be. If that describes you, put your hand up and say, that's me. Yep. Yep. Knew it. Come on now. Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are, listen to me, you are the reason why we're here. You're the reason we're here. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how polished we are. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason that I would take on this stress back into my life. Because not pastoring was super easy. Pastoring's tough. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray with you today. And I believe healing is coming to whole households. I really do. I really do. Generational junk is going to break off in the simplicity of this prayer. Father, in the mighty and the master's name of Jesus. You said that you would curse those who curse you. And you said you would do it to three and four generations. But you also said that you would bless those who bless you and keep your commandments. And you would do that to the third and fourth generations. For our children, our grandchildren, and our grandchildren's children. I pray right now, Father, that every generational slime and sludge and gunk and garbage that's been in our life against alcoholism, pornography, anger, drugs, affairs, all the garbage that, that, that really is marked in this room. And Lord, there are people here that I don't even know their story. I really don't. I know their name. I know a little bit about them. But I don't know how, how they showed up here. I don't know their level of brokenness. But my God, my God, you do. And you know what demons they've had to dance with. You know what garbage they've had generationally in their life. You know what their parents have been like. You know what their grandparents were like. You know what, what childhood was like for them. What happened to them when nobody else was looking? What happened to those, the, the, those kids when nobody else was looking? God, I'm calling something out. I just You know how broken this room is. But you also know Because of that brokenness on that cross, that wholeness is coming right now in the name of Jesus. Wholeness in the name of Jesus. No more. No more fighting with this. No more alcoholism. No more divorce. No more pornography. Anger slipping away in the name of Jesus. The ability to answer with calm. God, broken marriages right now, no more in the name of Jesus. No more in the name of Jesus. Father, self worth, self esteem issues. God, I, I. There's six or seven of you in here right now that are struggling to even receive this message because you're like, I don't deserve this message. I, I. Right now, you need to hear, daughter, 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 son. Like a good father, let that word sweep over you. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. Right now, Father, I just pray, Lord, that the brokenness that's in this room would be healed. It'd be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in people's lives right now. God, for the person that's struggling in this room, mm, for the person that's struggling in this room right now, whether or not they even go on another day. There's somebody in this room, I just believe right now, that's struggling with why is their life even worth living. It is. You need to hear that right now. Right now. Your life is 100% worth living. God gave you the breath of life that's in you, and you have purpose. You have a plan. You haven't been walking in it. You have not been walking in it, but that's all right. You're back. You're back. Welcome home. Welcome home. Hallelujah. Father, I ask right now, Lord, right now, that when we leave this place, I pray against what the enemy of our soul is going to try to do. Friends, there's a real enemy to your soul. He's going to try to snatch this out of your heart when you walk out this back door. Get into the word of God. Get into the word of God and let the word of God seal this work inside of your life. Let it seal inside of your life. Father, right now I pray a hedge of protection over my friends and over my family that this seed that's been planted in their life would not be snatched out. They have struggled and they have wrestled long enough. I pray, God, that this work would be sealed in their life, that the change would be cemented in their life, and that they would come back built up next week from who they they are this week and continue to build on that, continue to build on that. Let self-esteem, let self-worth build its way back into our life. Let freedom come into our life. Let the anointing of God, the plan of God, begin to work its way in our life. God, this is a church full of game changers. I believe it with all my heart. You're rising up, raising up an army. You're raising up a, a group of people who are healed, who are going to go out and be healers. I believe that with all my heart. You're raising up healers is what you're doing, and you're doing it by healing us first. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. We love you. And I pray that blessing and favor over us as we go today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.